Thanks for joining Impact Boom. On this episode... We're not respecting the complexity of the problem. We're trying to take a linear solution to mm, it. Mm. So to do that, to take a systems approach, you've got to work across from the micro to the macro levels. You've got to incorporate human-based qualitative research alongside data-supported quantitative research. Yep. And you've got to bring diverse stakeholders together to co-design futures. And that's hard. Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 384 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with David Ireland. Dr. David Ireland is a diversified impact practitioner playing the role of investor, consultant, advisor, board director, and philanthropist. He's worked for over 20 years across a range of sectors, including renewable energy, public health, ESG, agriculture, aquaculture, and financial services, where he has founded, invested in, and advised businesses, researchers, government, and not-for-profits as they attempt to solve some of the biggest challenges facing our planet. David has also been invited to participate in various national and global forums, including Judge at the XPRIZE Water Abundance Challenge, USAID's International Development Tech Eye Program, and as chair of the Australian Government's Horizon Scanning Community. David currently holds several roles, including Governor of WWF Australia, Director of Planet Arc Environmental Foundation, Founder of the Growth Drivers and Radiant Energy, and Honorary Professor at the Australian National University's College of Engineering, Computing and Cybernetics. He holds a dual PhD in Innovation and Drug Design, a Bachelor of Science with Honours, and Bachelor of Business Management from the University of Queensland, a Grad Certificate in Executive Leadership from the Australian Grad School of Management, is a Grad of the Australian Institute of Company Directors, and is a Stanford University Fulbright Fellow. So on today's podcast, we'll discuss David's perspectives on opportunities to ignite innovation in organizations, and we'll get his insights and perspective on ways ventures can effectively tackle social, cultural, and environmental issues. David, it's been a while coming. It's great to be chatting. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Tom. Great to be here. So David, kicking off, we'd love to learn a little bit more about your background and what it was that led to this passion in collaboration creativity, design, and connection to create impact. Thanks, Tom. I've always been curious, and not just curious, but probably more to the point, interested in solving problems that matter. Mm. So even reflecting way back to my school days, which are more years than I'd like to admit, the subjects I excelled at were those about understanding the unknowns in the world around us and trying to develop solutions to them, like chemistry and physics and whatnot. After school, I went into science and business degrees, and like you said, I did, did dual PhD, where I was developing anti-cancer drugs and exploring how high-tech firms grow and trying to work out how do we improve the success rate of firms trying to develop cutting-edge solutions for the big challenges facing society. Yep. 
And I've worked in biotech firms and even as an early undergraduate student, driven by some curiosity and some chats I was having with some backpackers set up my first business helping backpackers get work in Brisbane. That was pre-widespread internet days. There was a lot of connecting and collaborating Mm -hmm. with cafes and hostels and stuff around Brisbane and trying to connect people up. But since then, I've worked in tech transfer, helping researchers license new technology, start new businesses, test the viability of their IP. I worked at national level at CSRO, which is Australia's National Science Technology Organization. I was head of innovation policy and international innovation diplomacy. And then probably for the last eight years or so, I've been focused on building my own businesses. And again, partly it's based on curiosity and just opportunity realization where I've helped build businesses in renewable energy, public health, Mm. you know, other sectors. And I think it's all been an interesting journey. It all started with this real interest in in the tool set of innovation and how can we use the tools of innovation to validate problems, test solutions, and then scale them up to create lasting impact for people and planet. But today, more and more, that focus is not just on any opportunities, but it's becoming much more focused on sustainability. How do we use those tools of innovation? Things like collaboration, creativity, and design and connection that you were talking about. How do we use all of that to help, whether it's organizations or governments or researchers or entrepreneurs, whoever they might be, help solve some of those big complex problems that create significant and lasting value for themselves and the planet? Mm. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Look, there's some really impressive experience there, David, and I'm sure you've learned a lot from applying yourself across that range of different areas. As mentioned, you are the co-founder of the Growth Drivers. So this is ultimately where you're applying all these innovation tools that you're talking about to a range of different projects. So tell us a bit more about the work that you're involved in right now. The Growth Drivers started a couple of years ago, about three or four years ago, and it was off the back of I had been doing quite a lot of work in developing and emerging economies. And I saw that there was a lot of money being invested by international aid and development agencies and, and other organizations from around the world, often being deployed by middle-aged white men. The solutions just having any of the impact that anybody was hoping for them to have. Yep. I was working with a guy in Africa and he said this really profound statement and he's like, this is a museum of failed Western interventions. Wow. And that, really stuck, that really struck me and stuck with me and made me think we've just got, we're not doing enough. The approach that we're taking is just not enough. And so I got together with a couple of other guys and we thought, how do we pull innovation, human-centered design and business model innovation and development, complex systems theory and a few other methods and approaches together so that we can improve the success rate of the things that we develop and try to implement. That was the birth of the growth drivers. And it's been a really exciting journey since. And so these days we work with ambitious leaders to help them turn obstacles into impact at last. And we do that across the spectrum, right? And so we work from products to people and systems. And by that, I mean, we work with organizations to help them redesign their products and services to be more sustainable. And as an example, we're developing some new ear tags for cattle, that communicate with low orbit satellite, that address some biosecurity challenges for Australia's red meat industry. We develop new strategies and cultures to help organisations transition to the changing challenges in the market. We've worked with big, large FMCG groups, helping them change. Then we work at the systems level, and by that I mean helping governments and organisations redesign the systems that they operate in. And a really good example of 
the work that we've been doing in that space over the last couple of years has been up in state countries where we've been working to help reduce the amount of plastics entering the marine environment. To do that, we've brought researchers and communities and society and government and industry and pretty much anybody else who wants to participate together, help them think about what does a better future look like? And then what are all of the things that each of them can be doing to help create that future that might be investing in aligned R&D, or maybe it's about changing supply chains to remove plastics, or it's about providing new recycling options for people so they don't throw the plastics on the ground. It's that real kind of system redesign type work that we do, which is super exciting and really impactful. It's funny, as I say that out now, I think that is almost the opposite to what I would be advising somebody if they were trying to set up a business. The breadth of our service offering is wide. It's a challenge, but it also gives us the opportunity to help governments, not-for-profits and startups and whoever else navigate some of those, almost whatever that big, hairy challenge they're facing and create some lasting impact from it. We are constantly on that front line of challenge, right? People don't get consultants like me in to work on easy stuff. Like they only get us in to work on the stuff that they either can't do or they don't have time to do and whatever else. So they're all always hard, but it's inspiring because a lot of the time the clients that we do work with are really passionate about helping move their organization along that ESG continuum or sustainability continuum or do something better. Yes. And our job is to help them navigate some of those complexities and that journey. And it's exciting work. Yeah, it really sounds like it, David. So in working with this really large variety of organizations across, as you mentioned, quite a diverse range of different areas from that design through to innovation and business model stuff, where have you observed patterns that exist which basically prevent some of these teams that you're working with from delivering strong outcomes and the impact that you're talking about? That is a really good question. We see, I guess, this emerging new type of leader, or maybe a better way to put it, the requirement for a new type of leader, and one that has the skills and the attitudes that gives them the ability to affect the type of change that they need to affect, if that makes sense. Traits, the ability to do systems thinking, strong collaboration skills, and an inclination to collaborate. Yes. An ability to set a vision and to have the resilience and perseverance to deliver on that vision. Sustainability and initiatives don't happen overnight. They take a long time. Yes. An ability to influence it without authority and then a strong ability to mobilize people to be part of that change. Mm. When you think about it, our models of leadership haven't really changed for the last probably two decades since the introduction of the innovation leader, where mm. we started trying to get leaders to be more agile or to not just do waterfall approaches and yeah. whatever else it was. But and we all know the types of traits of innovation leaders. And I think the sustainability is just taking that another step forward or two. This is where we're seeing organizations commonly fall short of being able to create the lasting impact they want. While we do dedicated sustainability leadership training, helping leaders build some of those traits and the skills that I mentioned before, we make sure that all of our projects are that mantra of, or is it like, teach a man to fish and he'll feed himself forever or something. I can't remember it exactly. All our projects are designed to not just do it for the client, but to do it with the client. Mm. And so they kind of learn by doing as well. And so the idea is to design ourselves out of the process. And so they, they have the skills to lead that type of project in the future. So back to your question, like those patterns, it's about the patterns of those leadership and then the ability to see it through 
And probably the last one is, and this again gets back to leaders, is having that institutional, that leadership buy-in. In some cases we've seen maybe those mid-level managers are really passionate about seeing some type of sustainability or some type of impact change come through but they just can't get buy-in from the yeah. senior levels yep. who might be more motivated or more focused on some of the more traditional metrics of how is this going to increase our revenue yes. or how is this going to decrease our costs. And so maybe it doesn't initially, but maybe over a slightly longer-term perspective, it builds a more resilient supply chain or it's yep. going to align more strongly with the changing consumer preference market. So we're seeing some gradual changes in industry, which is great, but yeah, they're probably the main ones. Yeah, they're really, really interesting observations and can certainly share, I suppose, that approach that you take in looking to really work alongside and with organisations to help them upskill and ultimately help them manage these projects moving forward. So where have you identified opportunities, David, across Southeast Asia or Asia and Australia, Oceania, to tackle social, cultural, environmental problems and how might organisations better collaborate then to see greater systems change? I think probably the obvious answer is that more organisations need to take a systems approach mm. to creating the systems change thereafter. It's an old model, but it's one that I realise it's called the Kinevin framework and it talks about the different types of challenges that you face from simple to complicated to complex and chaotic. And the different type of challenge, like a complex problem requires a complex approach to solving it, right? You've yeah. got to lean into the complexity of the system. Absolutely. The challenges and the problems and the traits of that system are emergent and dynamic. And that's quite different to a simple or a complicated, mm. which can often take a bit more of a linear step-by-step sequential type process. And yes. I see a lot of organizations trying to do the big thing. And I think this gets back to my early comment about failed Western interventions in these emerging economies is that we're trying to do the right thing. We're trying to solve these big, complex, social, environmental, whatever they are, problems, but we're not respecting the complexity of the problem. We're trying to take a linear solution to it. Mm -hmm. So to do that, to take a systems approach, you've got to work across from the micro to the macro levels. You've got to incorporate human-based qualitative research alongside data-supported quantitative research. And you've got to bring diverse stakeholders together to co-design futures and that's hard, right? That is not a skill set that mm. people typically have. And it puts you outside your comfort zone when you start co-designing with people who are experiencing the problem as well. Yes. And I think it's that fear of the unknown. It's fear of this, I, I can't see what the solution is going to look like yet and it might be different to the status quo and what's that going to mean for us. This provides a bit of a barrier for people really properly leaning into doing the systems-based mm, yes. approach to, to creating these systems change. Yes. Yeah. Maybe one really concrete but probably old is to be really open to different perspectives and points of view. And it sounds so obvious, but in complex problems like that marine plastics example that I mentioned before, you've got all these really competing drivers of change and behavior and none are right or wrong. Yeah. They're just different. Like We actually rarely find someone who is intent on harming people or planet. It's just that... We're all focused on maximizing self gains and we don't naturally piece together the complexity of the system that's yeah. behind us to see how those self gains are impacting others. I might be throwing out lots of plastics because I get all single use plastics for detergents and food and salt and whatever, because that's all I can afford from a comfortable seat in Australia, like a middle aged white guy. I look at that and go, stop buying single use plastics. Yeah. Yeah. 
But it's like that person can't afford to do anything else. You got to look at perspectives and limitations and what people are capable of doing and really leave your bias out of it and take the time to understand what's driving people to behave like they are before you start trying to impose solutions on them. So a bit of a ramble there, but hopefully there was something interesting in there for people. Absolutely. Look, I think it's a fundamental understanding to really bring back that deeply empathetic view and understanding of the people that you're working with and seeking to create that change with. I mean, without that empathy, you can almost pretty much understand that what you bring forward isn't going to have a huge amount of success unless you have a little bit of luck. But I think bringing it back to the founder entrepreneurial perspective then, David, what general advice would you be giving to purpose-led entrepreneurs who are working really hard to take their enterprises to the next level? What's that general piece that you've learned over time? Yeah, sure. I don't want this to sound discouraging by any means, but I think you just be prepared for it to take longer and for it to be harder. (laughs) And you originally thought, that doesn't mean it's not worth doing. At a really simple level, we're all prone to thinking that because I see this problem exists, everybody must see that this problem exists. and And we just know that's not true. It's the same thing and it's amplified when you try to start doing some, you're doing social enterprises, for instance, you know, this it's just hard. You're trying to get people to stop doing whatever the status quo is and getting people to change their behavior is really tricky. Yes. Uh, and if you not don't necessarily have some of those, dare I say, capitalist tools available to you to go and reduce your costs by offshoring and using cheaper labor or using plastics instead of more renewable sources if you're not doing that and you're trying to be a sustainable organization yeah then it is going to be harder but the impact of your work is going to be higher so stick with it for what it's worth i actually get asked this question not infrequently and i've never worked out how to give an answer really eloquently but i'll try it here anyway i tend to take a bit of an ecology view to change when you think about it systems settle at their lowest energy states and, so, and to get them out of that requires an intense amount of energy to be inputted or more energy than what it is to rest at that state. You think about a rainforest, right, that over 50, 60, 100 years has been degraded by people chopping down trees and putting cattle on there and it's turned into grassland, right? It is unreasonable to think that within a couple of years you can get that rainforest back, right? Yeah. That's obvious. If it's taken 50, 60, 100 years for that change to happen, it's probably going to take close to 50, 60, 100 years to get that rainforest back because you've got to rebuild a huge amount of ecology, microbiology, biology, and weather patterns and all these other things that make a rainforest a rainforest. Yeah. It's the same thing in human systems. If you've had people who have been buying cheap goods and services because they've been utilizing fossil fuels and cheap labor and plastics and goodness knows what else, to get people to start to engage with something that could be a bit more expensive, it's more sustainable, and so they might get some bigger social value from it, like that takes time. Yes. And you've got to put in a similar amount of energy that you would if you were going to try to take a grass thing back to a rainforest. Yeah. Like yeah. it's not an entirely eloquent answer for you, but hopefully the analogy works that it's you just got to recognize that you are trying to do something really hard and it's just going to take a bit of time. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's a great insight to share and I'm sure it probably resonates with a lot of our listeners, David. So thanks for sharing that. Inspiring projects or initiatives, do you have a couple that you could share with us that you believe are creating some great positive social change? I mean, there's heaps, but just a couple 
So WWF has been running this Innovate to Regenerate, mm. which is about finding and supporting innovators to help regenerate Australia's land and seascapes. And they've unearthed some amazing entrepreneurs and they're supporting some really incredible projects that are having and will have huge impact. And so that's an incredible project, a series of projects. Just more generally, I'm seeing more and more Indigenous and First Nations traditional approaches being integrated with modern technologies and businesses. Mm. I really take so much energy and comfort from seeing that happen because it, the moment you do that, you are instilling some really fundamental sustainability, human-focused, empathetic traits into whatever you're doing and the perspective on what growth is changes fundamentally. There's a company that I'm working with at the moment. It's in the agricultural space and they're taking some really old Indigenous technologies around harnessing lightning to improve the growth rate of seeds and various crops. And it's totally revolutionary technology that's mm. utilising 60,000-year-old approaches. The mind boggles when you start to think about that stuff. So that's really good. It's funny, David. They were literally just mentioned on our podcast that was released yesterday, the day before, with Charlotte Connell. Oh, uh, fantastic. Yeah, that's great. So yeah, that's great. It's, yeah. it's good to so, hear that, making it out there and, uh, and attracting some positive attention. They absolutely are. It's really good. Just the last one I'll just mention is another just general observation. What I think is really exciting is we are seeing that are driving corporate behavior, right? And GDP, revenue, return to shareholder value type of stuff is still dominating, but it is changing and seeing organizations start reporting on various ESGs and greenwashing and all those issues aside, like I take that there is still a whole bunch of that's happening. But the fact that we are seeing businesses now start taking some steps towards that and reporting on those things and guiding corporate behavior based on some of those metrics, I think is a great step. The challenge is just, are we doing enough fast enough? Yeah. But time will tell, but at least, you know, five years ago, nobody was doing it. And mm. now... A lot of big businesses are now reporting on that stuff. Partly, I think that's because people, you look at the droughts and floods and fires and COVID, this is not like an esoteric future threat to future generations anymore. Yeah, people yeah. are feeling the planet push back today. And as I actually have to do something just to look after myself and my family right now. Yeah. Whatever the driver, it's good that we are seeing some change happening. Yeah, it's a great perspective there. It is very much in our face and, and hopefully just means that it really spurs on that increased action to really tackle some of these big issues to finish off david then what books resources podcasts sort of those sorts of things would you be recommending to our listeners to get a little bit of inspiration one of the benefits of being cursed with some light insomnia is that i get a lot of time to read <laughs> <laughs> you gotta look for the positives in life absolutely <laughs> I read really widely, so I read National Geographic and I just find that the diversity of information that I get out of that and their pictures are incredible as well. So I get a lot of pleasure and a lot of knowledge out of National Geographic. Your podcast, obviously, Tom, is, is always a good one. But I think probably the last few books I've read, and again, it gets back to that first question, it's just curiosity-led. And I've read everything from, if I think about the last month or two, it's been about we're losing an ability to focus as a mm. society. I've read about sustainability and regenerative agriculture, the nature of pandemics. I've read a book on quantum computing, which I didn't understand, but I thought was interesting. The like one I'm reading at the moment is on the nature of the cell, which is about just how we don't really understand still 
the proper inner mechanics of how cells work and all the stuff that is left to discover and what that might mean for human health and what we can do to extend age and get rid of diseases and all of that stuff. So really interesting, just general knowledge stuff are the books that I've been reading lately. Too many good books to read these days. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the problem I'm experiencing. There is certainly a wide variety out there, but sounds like there's some really good ones in there, David. So thanks for sharing those. It's been a total pleasure to really listen to your insights and experience today, David. So thanks so much for being so generous with your time. And we'll certainly look forward to tracking your journey down the line and have no doubt that you'll continue to do some great work. Great. Thanks for having me, Tom. Great to chat today. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.